Hello and welcome to Dog Talk with me, your host, Nick Benger, the ultimate podcast to help you take the next step in your dog training journey by learning from the best experts from around the world. Hey, welcome to today's podcast. Just a few kind of bits of housekeeping to go over before we get started. If you haven't already joined us on the Facebook group, which is just Dog Talk with Nick Benger podcast discussion group, then please do that. That's where we talk about the podcast. That's where you can ask your questions. And also you can see when the podcast has gone live because that's usually the first place I post about it. The other thing is... We have to thank Butternut Box for sponsoring this podcast. They've been so good. They are really a nice company. They sell healthy homemade dog food with the freshest ingredients. It's all home cooked. It's perfectly portioned. It's delivered to your door. And it's one of the only dog foods that has a five-star rating on All About Dog Food. It's really good for fussy eaters and sensitive stomachs. And it's been made and praised by nutritionists and vets. So if you want to get 75% off your first order, then just go to butternutbox.com slash nickbenger. That's well worth checking out. And it's certainly worth getting your first box. So, today we're going to be talking about navigating children and dogs. That's a subject that I think makes a lot of dog trainers and people that have dogs really nervous because there's so much potential to go wrong. And this is an episode that was also requested by some of you over on the Facebook group. So, we... I've searched out the leading expert. Jennifer is the owner of Family Pools and the former vice president of Dog Gone Safe. She has served on the board of the International Childbirth Education Association and has a degree in special education. Her two programs, Dogs and Storks and Dogs and Toddlers, have been featured in Wall Street Journal and Martha Stewart Living, among other places. So, let's get into it. All right. Hi, Jen. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. So this is a really interesting episode because I've seen a few people now ask about um, children and dogs and, and what's the right thing to do. And also that kind of element of if you're expecting a child, like what should you be doing in preparation? But before we even get into all that kind of stuff, I kind of wanted to ask you how you got interested in children and dogs and combining the two together <laughs> well that's a great question and it, it's uh, without getting too long-winded about it but I will tell you that um, I actually have a degree in special education and began working um, you know with kids and adults and children years and years ago um, and then when I became a parent and we finally got our first dog um, I got involved with German Shepherd Rescue and ended up doing a lot of uh, support for families who had adopted a dog through our rescue organization and found that there was very limited, limited information about young children and family dogs. And a lot of people had concerns and fears. And because I did a lot of early intervention and in-home kind of consultations in my previous career, I just kind of naturally ended up 
flowing into that and um, and saw the need and in 2002 started offering dogs and storks um, as our first program in an effort to decrease the the lack of information that was out there so that we could help people feel more comfortable and confident when they would have a dog and not feel like they had to give up their dog or or be overwhelmed with fear about how things would go or something happening. So that's that's how it all began. Yeah, I think that happens with a lot of people, you know, like you have a couple of different interested interests and then you kind of find a way of bringing them together or, or in your case, it just kind of naturally happened. <laughs> I feel so lucky. I mean, to be able to kind of be involved in several areas that are very strong passions of mine. Um, I'm also very active in the childbirth community. Um, I have been on the board for the International Childbirth Education Association. And so all of this is very interwoven. And I'm really fortunate to, to kind of have a career of passion. I'm sure you've heard this a million times. and It's probably getting really old for you now. But it's like that it's that old saying never work with children and animals <laughs> yeah and you've you do exactly that but it's from talking to you it sounds like you're enjoying it you're loving it i do love it and i love working with the families you know it it's it's dogs and it's children but it's family dynamics and it's complex and it's never the same and that's what keeps it exciting and new and fun for me because I walk into a situation and it is never the same. My advice is never the same and the circumstances and the dynamics are never the same. And I love that every single day. It's, it's great that there are people out there that have that skill set and can do that because I meet so many behaviorists and trainers that specifically say um, that they don't want to work with um, children and dogs. And I think a lot of that is to do with like, if I get this wrong, then the results could be disastrous. Or, you know, if if a child gets bitten and I'm their trainer, then, you know, am I going to get in trouble for that? So, like, I think that's a really nerve-wracking place to be for a lot of professionals. It is, but I think it's also really frightening when people walk into those situations because in, in so much of what we do, children happen, right? There are kids everywhere. So we can't just pretend it's not there or just say, oh, I'm scared. I'm not going to get involved. It, it's so much better to become be informed and have more knowledge and education so that you can make better decisions. And that's what we encourage because there is a huge amount that we can do with young children early, early on, and we're not taking advantage of that. And, you know, my tagline right now is creating dog aware generations and that's something i'm very passionate about because we must continue that learning and that knowledge about how dogs interact with the world how they express themselves the dog body language and communication and boy there's no greater time than to start with that than with our new young toddlers and young children so we've got to have more people saying you know what i am a little nervous about it but let me get more information so that I can maybe make better decisions and handle it with confidence, you know? Yeah, because I think I'm probably one of those people for sure that is, <laughs> you know, like if a client has children or whatever, like I, always, I feel a little bit awkward about it maybe because, I don't know, I 
I've probably not ex- been exposed to that enough, or I don't know enough about children to uh, to be very right. proficient in that area. Because, but you know, like I see some people, and they're just such naturals at it. Like my girlfriend, you know, she can befriend like any child. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I, I guess there's a lot of us out there that kind of feel a little bit awkward about it. I think probably, and I'm making a huge generalization here, but probably a, a men men thing as well. Like, um, like me and my girlfriend always joke about it. You know, like if we come across like a lost child in the park, like I can't be the one to save the child. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it really. There's so many different levels of comfort when it comes to working with kids and dogs. And I think one of the problems that we run into is a lot of people, such as yourself, might go, you know, assume, wow, I I don't have a whole lot of experience here. And I just want to tell you, new parents, they're new too. So if you have more information and you understand a little bit about child development or a little bit about what a child might be able to do at different stages, you may be bringing different expertise into their home environment that they did not know about in general because guess what? They're new at this too. They have not been, you know, that's the whole idea with new parenting. They're learning. And so you're just one aspect of supporting them in that. So I do encourage a lot of dog professionals who shy away and say, hmm, you know, I don't have kids. That's not for me. Well, we need it to be for you. (laughs) We need people to have more education and to make better, safer choices that are child friendly. So we need everybody. Yeah, that's a really great point. Um, Like you and and what you said earlier kind of rings a you know that that rings true as well like what you're saying about you can't just pretend that children don't exist (laughs) (laughs) they're everywhere because yeah exactly you're right like even if you say oh i don't really don't want to work cases that involve children like you are inevitably going to come across people that have children and whether you like it or not those children are going to be interacting with a dog um so so that's a really interesting point then right And I I want to bring up on that note, too, if you are working with a family or a client who has a dog that has reactivity or aggression towards children, guess what? You're going to have to get involved, you know? So it, it may not be that children are directly in that client's home. However, they're in the world. And therefore, the more information you have, the better resource you become. Okay, so for those of us that feel a bit awkward or a bit inept when it comes to children, how do we go about learning more so that we can be better? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, I would encourage you to look into our programs, but our program certainly isn't it for everybody. But there are a lot of dog programs, dog and children programs. Thank goodness there's more and more coming out there. The family dog, there's dog on crazy. Um, there's our program there, you know, there's more and more, there's good dog in a box. These are all great programs to at least become familiar with some of the skills and some of the ways to engage, interact with, with children and dogs. It's really, really important. So I encourage people to check it out. I also encourage people to be curious about developmental stages of children. So if you're going to a family's house, and they have a child or a small child, 
um, you can look a lot of that up. YouTube videos are incredibly helpful. It's not unusual for me to do a refresher and look at, okay, an 18-month-old, what are they doing? What are they capable of? So that my expectations for the family as well as the child and the circumstances and knowing what the dog might be experiencing are accurate, are up-to-date and relevant for what they're going through. Obviously, we all know with dog trainers, when you go on the internet, there is so much information, there's so many different viewpoints and people arguing and stuff, and you don't know who's right and who's wrong unless you've kind of been in this field for a while. And from an outsider's perspective looking in, it seems like the same way with children, but I I don't know, but I see so many different Mm. approaches and people say that you should, you know, like you hear these terms like helicopter parenting and and free range kids and all this kind of stuff. And you like, (laughs) and from an outsider's perspective it's like, you know, what's right, what's wrong. Like this is really daunting. Mm. Yeah. You raise a good point. So I want to bring you back to just thinking about, we're looking at behavior, right? So if you look up uh, 18 month old behavior development um, or um, cognitive abilities or different things. If you look that up, you will find a lot of information. The other thing is YouTube, you know, and we have so many research, you know, things out there, but even just observing toddler videos, toddlers and dogs, just to see what children of that stage are doing can be very helpful, can be terrifying and can be really helpful. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when I really want to torture myself, I go and just, you know, look up, dog and toddler videos um but it does give you insight it does help you to say hmm you know look every six month old that i'm looking at on these videos is doing the same kind of thing you know so looking at a couple videos does help you at least to say all right yep they're starting to make these sounds they have that big belly laugh they are maybe sitting up they're you know what are they able to do you know, because you're right, there is a lot of information. And just like dogs are very individual, children are too. And all the developmental stages happen very differently within each individual. So you're right. There, there seems to have been over the last however many years, like a real attitude change when it came to children and dogs. Because I remember when I was growing up, it was like we weren't even allowed around the dog without supervision. We certainly weren't allowed around the dog if it had anything you know whether it's a ball or food or whatever but now like you scroll through facebook or you scroll Mm. through reddit or any kind of social media and it's like you see like kids like sat on dogs like (laughs) all kinds of crazy stuff and i guess do you feel like we we should get back to a point where supervision what people are supervising them much more heavily that's a great question. I really feel, I, I'm with you. I, I agree. I mean, growing up, it was always, listen, the dog has a bone, you leave them alone. No question. You're not going to go bother the dog when they're eating or sleeping or resting. You leave them alone. And if you don't leave them alone and they growl at you, guess what? You deserved it. That was kind of how I grew up. Now it's, wow, if the dog communicates in, in, in their basic way of communicating after other forms of communication have failed them, um, other subtle ways, and now they growl or they bite, the dog's in trouble. The dog's a bad dog all of a sudden. And 
and it is it it is an unfair way of looking at things. I don't know where things changed that all of a sudden it's it's not respected how a dog naturally is going to communicate, but I do think we need to get back to the place that we are saying, yep, your dog is trying to communicate in the way that they are capable and equipped to do. It's your job to receive those signals and to learn. And that's where I feel really strongly that we've got to create dog aware generations. We've got to start with our expecting families, help introduce them, plant the seeds that, hey, your dog is constantly giving you information about how comfortable they are, how uncomfortable they are. They are always throwing out signals. Your job is to be the receiver. And we have to stop being so darn distracted that we're just not paying attention. We're just, you know, look, I'm on my phone, I'm playing, you know, a game, or <laughs> answer an email, and my child's over there crawling towards the dog. We've got to pay attention and have that active supervision all the time. And I think the heavily distraction that we have, you know, we're always distracted. And, and I do think that that plays a big role, um, you know, in, in some of what you're talking about, that we're really, we want all the answers now, we want it, you know, and we're very distracted. I assume that there's some kind of ma- management that you put into place there, because obviously, like, that's going to take a lot of, I don't know, like, for people to be watching all of the time, mm. like, that's that's a big ask isn't it so it is. is there some kind of management that you put in place there are you separating the dog from your children at points or like what what kind of management do you put in place to make oh, sure yes. that that yes. happens oh yeah and that's one of the things that we highly recommend um early 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 on as soon as i hear that someone's expecting i ask is your dog comfortable with being separated while you're in the house. And a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, my dog is fine in the crate. They're fine, you know, when we leave the house. And I say, "Mm, really? Well, what about when you're in the house and you're on the other side of a gate? Are you able to have a conversation with guests? Or is your dog trying to jump the gate, whining, barking? Are they agitated, you know, because they can't get right next to you? So we really, really, really want people to practice separation. I refer to them as success stations, crating, gating, separating, rotating, sometimes using indoor tether, depending on, you know, if that's appropriate or not, um, you know, during the newborn phase, um, you know, but we, we will do separation and management's key, but having comfortable management and practicing before you need it is essential. So frustrating when people wait until their baby's crawling and they're overwhelmed and they're desperately trying to <laughs> manage the situation and their their baby's crying and fussing and their dog's whining and barking on the other side of a gate. That leads to a lot of frustration and a lot of times, uh, you know, really can cause problems. So we want to work on all that ahead of time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as you're saying that, that makes total sense. And you can understand why so many people end up rehoming their dogs when you're already under the stress of, you know, looking after a baby and maybe not sleeping as much. And then you've got a dog barking because it can't be right next to you. And, you know, Nick, to be honest, there's nothing worse for if a mom or a dad or a parent who is 
already feeling that they're not meeting the needs of their dog or themselves. I mean, I had points where my youngest, I have four children, and my youngest, I remember, my goal sounds ridiculous, and if you've not had children, it may sound really ridiculous, but my goal when she was three months old, I literally had one goal every day, and that was to unload the top drawer of my dishwasher. That was it, because the rest of the day was dedicated to her, because she was very needy. And, you know, it's impossible to imagine what that's like and until you're there. You know, some would say, oh, you know, and make a lot of judgment about it. I was, that was all I could manage was get that done. And that felt like an accomplishment. And I'm a pretty busy multitasker. But when you're brought to that point in your parenting, when the needs and demands of having a newborn are on you, you really feel like, wow. I can't even take care of myself and do the things I want to. My dog is really feeling neglected and is I'm not giving them the attention that they need. And, oh, now he's whining and crying. And so that whining and crying and barking when we're trying to implement some separation now really triggers a lot of that guilt and a lot of that loss and a lot of the, the mixed feelings of I'm incapable of parenting this dog and children you know, child together. And that leads to a lot of rehoming and a lot of what I reference as impulsive rehoming phase because it just feels totally um, out of control. And we really want to work towards preventing that. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I don't have children, but I've kind of seen that myself because we have a dog walking service as well. And we always get that message when someone's expecting a baby where they're like... <laughs> um, oh, we might not be needing walks as much because we're going to have a baby soon. And obviously, from their mind, they'll be able to walk the dog. <laughs> uh, they won't be able to walk the dog themselves because they'll be at home. <laughs> of no. Course, no, that never works out. It doesn't <laughs> work out. It's not, it's not that glorious picture that everybody imagines. I mean, sometimes just suiting up and getting the baby out the door and... You might have a baby that's a, that really thinks the, the stroller is a um, torture device. My daughter, I remember taking her, she and my husky and going for a walk, and I was ready. I was going to do this. And we walked a mile, and then she started crying and screaming, and I ended up carrying her, pushing the stroller, walking the dog. Um, it was not enjoyable, you know. So it's one of those things that we think is going to work out. And when it doesn't, we feel like we failed. So that's a huge part of what we're, we're trying to do, too, is set realistic goals. Help people to not set themselves up for failure. We really want to set up our dog, our families for success so that they, they feel good about it all. Yeah, so that's one thing that I really wanted to cover. And you've already kind of touched on it with getting the dogs used to being able to be on their own within the same house. Mm. Um, what else can people do that know they're having a baby? What other kind of training, what other kind of management can they put in place now in preparation? Sure. So practicing and firming up some of those cues that a lot of people that, you know, it, it never fails. I, I have many families who say, Oh yeah, we went to puppy class and then we, t we never did it again. Um, and, you know, having skills 
where your dog is able, you feel confident that your dog's going to respond no matter what you're doing. A lot of people um, really can only ask their dog to sit or lay down or go to their mat when they're standing up. But you need to be able to do this when your hands are full, when you're leaning back on the couch, while you're distracted in different positions, not just by the cookie jar, you know. Um, we want our dogs, we want people to feel confident that their dog is going to listen. So that does take practice. Um, whether someone wants to practice with a baby doll in, a, you know, a baby carrier, or I like to use, it sounds silly, I like to use 10 water bottles in a pillowcase because they're weighted and they're jiggly and because it's uh, kind of a silly thing, but I, it's neutral to the dog and it's neutral to the people. And uh, we put 10 water bottles in a pillowcase and it's heavy and that is kind of the weight makes our body language a little bit different and passing that back and forth and talking to it and things like that. We do all sorts of exercises with that. And then over time, we practice adding some higher value treats into the pillowcase and we continue those exercises so we can build the confidence in our families that even when we're holding something of value and high interest for our dogs, we're still able to sit back and relax on the couch and ask our dog to go to their place, go to their mat, go get their toy, whatever we may need them to do, and they're going to follow through without us having to get up and, you know. Um, so we really want to build the confidence in the consistency, and that's something that we do. So that's a big one. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. Just kind of get your training better all around, you yeah. know, because that's going to help a lot. And then also the added distraction of something that replicates a baby, like just to make it a little bit more real. And actually, that's one thing I wanted to ask about. What about noises? What about the noise of babies crying and all the kind of weird noises that children make? Yeah. And um, so baby sounds are meant to be alarms. Okay. So it is normal and natural that your dog is going to be inquisitive. And I think a lot of people think, well, I played baby sounds. In fact, I can tell you when we get calls on our hotline, most people say I did A, B, C, and D. And one of them is I played baby sounds before, but our dog still is growling or still is really crazed when the baby cries. You cannot, you, you can't simulate what it's going to be like when you have the whole picture, okay? What I mean by the whole picture is mom with her hormones and physiological responses, dad with their physiological responses to their individual newborn, to the crying of the newborn, all those things. You cannot simulate that prior to being in that situation. The vulnerability, the emotions, and everything that happens once you are holding your actual newborn is something very different. And we can't account for that emotional response and all the different things that are going on when we just play baby sounds. So it may be really helpful for some dogs to play baby sounds, but I don't just do baby sounds. I do cat sounds. I do other sounds that are going to cause inquisitiveness because I want my families to see what they're looking at. This isn't your dog wanting to attack your baby. This is your dog going, 
what is that? Wow, that's cool. What is that? Oh, my gosh, I'm excited by that. And I want you to know what to do. I want you to know how to respond. So the most important thing is that you know what to do and what to respond when your dog shows inquisitiveness. That's the best preparation we can give. So your dog is now excited. All right, now what? What would you like them to do? Well, let's work on that. And that's, that's the key. So to me, it's, yep, you know, that's Kelsey or I would say that to my dog a lot. He would react, and I'd say, yep, that's Kelsey Go to your mat. Go get your ball. Go do this. And remain calm. Instead of when my dog gets inquisitive, I go, oh, my gosh, what's that about? It's because it's a baby. It's not. We have to take some of that out of there. And 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 because that leads to fear and it leads to everything else. Your dog is being inquisitive. Your dog is reacting to everything going on. Does that make sense? Yeah, I was just wondering, what could you give us some examples? And I, f- I think you you might have already done this of mm-hmm. what you would have, uh, what you would teach the dog to do in response to the baby crying, mm. if anything. So I wouldn't do it directly related to the actual baby cry. So I never ever want to use the crying as a cue. Right? That's okay. not what I mean. But what I want is to condition the, the, the person to have a response that's going to be calm and, and a little more collected versus if they're in the moment and they just react, it's going to be, oh, stop it. Oh, my gosh. You know, I want them to be prepared and to feel comfortable in their response. So, for example, when I see my dog, maybe baby's crying during a diaper change. All right, that's real classic. And your dog starts barking. I would rather that the 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 fam the adults response is, yep, I see that. Here's some treats or go over there or go get your ball or go to mat and have practiced that instead of correcting the dog, yelling at the dog, or getting agitated by the dog's behavior. So practicing those things together ahead of time can be really, really, really helpful. So whether, again, it goes back to firming up your cues, firming up some of those behaviors that we really want our dog to do, and practicing those under a variety of circumstances, like, you know, with proofing and that kind of thing. Okay, I see what you're saying. So, like, having all of this stuff going on, maybe you have your water bottles, you have a noise effect of a baby crying, and then practicing your cues and stuff Mm -hmm. with that all going on at the same time. You can. You can can practice that way. Or you can also, again, we want – it comes down to the person more than the dog. You know, I want the person to be able to respond and give the dog direction have that be their gut response versus correcting the dog or stopping that behavior. Your dog is unsure of what's happening, needs your praise or guidance, needs to be told and directed what you would like them to do. If barking at the baby is not what you want them to do, let's give them something we we would like them to do that we know that they're able to do. Right, so this is practice for the people as much as for the dogs. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. Because I think a lot of parents, in, and I can tell you, when I came home and I had four dogs, I had um, my shepherd, my Malamute shepherd, a, a rescue pity, and a Siberian husky, and I brought my newborn home, and, and the responses with two of my dogs were not what I expected at all. 
Now, I was extraordinarily tired. I was very physically vulnerable and exhausted. My first natural response is to go, hey, stop it. Don't do that, you know, because I'm exhausted. And, and I feel like that it's scary. It's threatening to my newborn who's like tiny, you know. And I had to remind myself consciously to say, no, what do I want them to do? Telling them no, reacting to them really snappily is not going to be helpful for them. In fact, it's going to make it that much worse. But if I hadn't practiced things ahead of time and stopped myself, it wouldn't have been that easy. Does that make sense? So I really do want to work on conditioning the family to kind of go, yep, my dog's curious, my dog's inquisitive, my dog's doing this. It's my job now to give them something to do. Yeah, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. And that feeds into so much of what we do as professional dog trainers anyway um that like really ring you know that really resonates mm -hmm. um the other thing i wanted to ask about is you know what do you do when you you first come home mm. and you've got your baby like you know that first day even that maybe that first week um you know how, how should you go about introductions <laughs> if you would even call them that right like uh-huh uh-huh good point there I prefer to call them homecoming. I call it a homecoming phase, right? Um, I think the word introduction sets people up for a very, very, um, a, a lot of expectations that really we may not want. So homecoming phase is kind of the, the process of inclusion without interaction. So we want it mm -hmm. to be as calm as possible, but it doesn't have to be rushed, and it's not a one-time event. Introduction is a one-time event. So many people think, oh, we have to do this sniffing and let the dog come <laughs> over and get really close to the baby. No. Yeah. We really don't. I can just imagine this. Yeah. Right. I can. We really don't. And we really don't need to let them check out the diaper area, all this stuff. Your dog is smelling that baby, you know, even in third uh -huh. trimester. I mean, your dog is very, your dog is smelling a lot of different things going on. And, uh, you know, we don't need to do that. However, what we do need to do is think about where the baby's going to be, what we would like, um, those kinds of things. Um, what kind of success stations are we going to use, crates, gates, tether? Are we going to use a leash and a harness system in the house? Those kinds of things. How do we do that? Let's practice bringing in the the water bottle baby in the carrier. And what are we going to do when we walk that baby in the house the first time where's the car seat gonna go how do we how do you you know how do we do these things so um family pause has a homecoming plan that all of our educators give out to their new families and it's intended to brainstorm and think through all those beginning processes so that we can kind of like a childbirth plan it's a homecoming plan and we think it's critical that our families really think through some of these initial steps and activities um you know so that they do feel confident and comfortable and one of those things nick is really not to rush it <laughs> not to rush it if your dog is someplace else while mom and you know and baby are bonding and mom's recovering that's okay too um there is no urgency in this a relationship takes time and that's really one of the most important messages that we try to give it's really, really important that everybody is ready when there's exposure, but it doesn't have to be direct physical contact. <laughs> right. So 
for a period of time, obviously, you're going to separate mm-hmm. the two, the your dogs and the, and your baby. How, how long does that period go on for? Mm. And I can just try and ask the questions that I know that people are going to be thinking. So when we say separate, um, this all depends, right? I'm thinking in in my head about how this went in my world, and um, I had, like I said, four dogs. One who was, I had two senior dogs who just really could care less, you know. In their case, they came home, they said, hey, mom, how's it going? That's about it. They came over, sniffed me. They were happy I was home. They went and laid down. Fantastic. (laughs) That's great. I had another dog that was absolutely just out of his mind, did not know what was going on, what my daughter was, and we needed to do a lot of different things. So we used an indoor tether, um, like a six-foot tether, to kind of include him in the room but have him at a safe distance. So I was able to get up and walk away, but he could enjoy something of high value or he could be in the room. He could be on the uh, in the room on leash. We did a lot of different things. It took me at least a week before I let him drag a leash um, and come close to me while I was sitting in a chair. It was a a swivel chair that could turn, and my daughter wasn't a carrier. Um, But it took us a while. And then we had to practice having him see us, you know, through a gate with me walking around with the baby, talking to the baby, talking to my husband, when the baby was crying, different things. So there are different stages, and there is no one answer. That's the hardest thing in the world. It's, you know, so what you ask is when, when there is no when. It's, it's about, there's no specific time frame. It's different for everybody. Some people it happens right away that you're comfortable with your dog roaming around with, with you there. Others, it's going to take a while. Like with my dog, it took quite a while before I was comfortable. And then every single time I put my daughter in a new piece of equipment, like a swing or a bouncy chair, we had to go back to the basic steps of him on a tether, him on a leash, observing at a distance, getting, you know, you know, reinforced heavily, you know, and getting comfortable very gradually before he was okay with that. So, it really does vary. There's a wide range there. Are there any kind of behaviors or any kind of tells that help you predict how a dog is going to react to a baby? You know, like I can, mm. you know, like if I can just imagine people, you know, like watching their terriers, like shaking around toys, <laughs> squeaky toys yeah. and thinking, oh God, this is going to be a nightmare. You know, is there any kind of any tell or behavior or do is there a variance between breeds like is there any way you can predict how a dog is going to behave well definitely if your dog is really reactive to any changes in newness and changes in appearance and different things has trouble adjusting um you know to new people and you know any kind of change i mean we in in our program in the dogs and storks we go through all different types of sensitivities to help people get a little more familiar with um, how their dog interprets the environment in their world um, and things in it. So there are some things that I would say can kind of tip you off to know a little more of what to look for. Um, You know, so, for example, a dog that is, um, you know, 
that's very sensitive to change in appearance might really have a hard time when the baby is being passed, you know, back and forth or dressed up or different things. But also dogs that, um, you know, want to chase things. If you play heavily with your dog and you pull toys away and dangle them in the air, well, when you lift up your baby, it could be seen easily as part of a play session. So you, there are things that I do say, you know, let's pay attention to this. Let's be aware that this could be perceived differently from your dog's point of view. And it's not that they're out to get your baby. It's that, you know, we've done things before that have reinforced that, you know, response. And we need to be a little more aware of that with that particular individual, you know. So if you're going to have a baby, Mm. would you change the games that you play with your dog? Or would you just try and put more control in? You know, like, would you stop playing tug with your dog? Or would you just try and train them a little bit? more like what what would your approach be great question i would have a beginning and an ending to it so people who want to a lot of times people are doing a a play where they get on their living room floor and and every time that person sits on their living room floor it's game on it's playtime. we're gonna rough and tumble well guess where most of your activities with the baby are probably on your living room floor so now when you do it with your baby uh, and the dog comes over uh, your dog's going to be faced with a very different response from you than when it was playtime with them intended for them so we want to change that so to me putting a beginning and ending cue on play sessions making sure that we have toys that are associated with that play session versus our hands or our body alone um, is really important. Uh, What about things like squeaky toys? I definitely, again, squeaky toys are no problem in in my eyes, depending on the dog. Um, It's just that a lot of times babies tend to have toys that make those similar noises, so we could have a lot of toy confusion, um, and there tends to be a lot of management with that. Yeah, I've heard um, people say that dogs talk about dogs getting confused about what are their toys and what are the baby's toys and i've heard people go as far as to scent the dog's toys with a particular scent to try and get them to realize hey if it smells like vanilla then it's yours kind of thing you know i've never really had families who are too game and doing what it takes to make that actually work in theory it's great but um i tend to try to have people really 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 introduce a specific particular toy to their dog and and pick up most of the toys so that um you have one or two that are named and that you've built an association with so for me it was always sharky my daughter i had a shepherd puppy when my daughter was a toddler and I introduced Quentin to Sharky. Sharky was his toy. And we built such an association with Sharky that whenever I'd say, where's Sharky? He'd be like, no, okay, and pounce on Sharky. So he could be gone for one of her toys, but Sharky, as soon as he heard that, he was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I need that one. Because that toy had a lot of built association with it, with me playing with him, with us interacting, lots of fun stuff. And so I prefer to limit the number of toys. If everything on the floor is always fair game for your dogs, 
that becomes very challenging once you have kids. So I like to limit it to one or two favorites that we have named, played, and built association with. And I find that a lot of families, one, it's a super fun process, I think. And I just find it works really well. Um, Do you have any tips for dogs interacting with children in general, um, be it toddlers or or whatever? Like one of the things I've always heard, and you can tell me if this is wrong or right, is, um, for example, if you're using a crate, then that can be a good place to have a rule with your children that if the dog's in the crate, you can't touch them. Mm. Does that does that resonate with you or not? Yes, absolutely. In fact, I take it a step further. If I have the dog in a crate, if I've got young children, um, I often will have them also part of that management where um, we'll get a, you know those poster, um, oh gosh, they're like post trifold poster boards that can stand up. You might use it for a presentation. I tend to get those and let the children decorate it and put on like sleeping dog, resting dog, quiet zone, de- a stop sign, something like that. And we stand that around the dog's crate. So the child can put that up. And as long as that's up, we're not going to go near that. We're going to give the dog their space until that comes down. Um, and I did that mostly because my shepherd would always, if I put a blanket over the crate or something, he'd pull that in. So we had to get something that stood along outside of it, um, but was a clear zone that we're not going to go past that. Um, the dog's in their chill-out spot, you know, in their do, quiet do you space. Find that, yeah. Do you find that helps with compliance when you get them involved yes. and you make it into a bit of a game? Absolutely. If you have a timer, like puppies having their downtime now, you know, um, or the dog, even the older dog, I don't know why I'm saying puppy, I'm thinking of one of ours in particular, but um, they're having their downtime and even allowing a child to do, you know, a regular timer or an hourglass um, or finding a way. This is where I might use some tag teach. I might use implement a lot of different things, like every five minutes, we're, you know, or every one minute, the dog is in their quiet space and you've left them alone, whatever it may be. There's lots of ways to reinforce the child. You know, they can earn paw prints or stickers, or um, there's a lot of different things that we can do to make it successful for even our younger crew. Yeah. And what kind of interactions should kids be having with dogs? Mm. It, well, that, can... that is a loaded question, isn't it? So kids is such a wide range, right? So, um, it, you know, when it comes to, I'll just give you some rules that I really go by. I always say, That'd be great. yeah, um, invites decrease bites and frights. So for me, inviting a dog over is always always, always better than approaching the dog and closing that space, closing in the space, approaching the dog. So that's something that I start to model early, early, early on. And then we also always say one hand enough, two hands too rough. We like one-handed petting for the dog. And when you do pet, if say, you know, three and up, five and up, if they are petting, then we pet, pet, pause, See if the dog is asking for more or if they walk away, shake off, you know, what do they do? What are they doing in response? Are they participating willingly? Are they, you know, 
We always want a dog to be able to opt out of any type of interaction with a child or an adult. That's in that's a really interesting point you make there because I've seen children that want to pet the dog but maybe they do it in a way that you really shouldn't do it yeah. you know like they're put, they're brushing the dog the wrong way up his coat or they're scrunching it in their hand yes, yes. um so they're not trying to be nasty but they the dog is obviously not having a good time right so when we when we are you anytime a young child so say a baby or a young toddler I want a parent to guide their hand so I say palm to palm so a parent's going to have be holding the child's hand and and again I would only encourage this with the family dog that's being invited to come over not a child petting an unfamiliar dog I am not a fan of young children toddlers either being permitted or being asked to engage, interact with unfamiliar dogs. I think it's a setup for the dog and the child. And I think we have to stop in general in our society of thinking it's four-legged and furry and I must touch it. <laughs> no, you really don't. You know, I always think about, um, you know, kids, kids need to learn. I can look and observe and blow kisses. I don't have to physically touch that animal. And uh, that begins early and begins at home. So, As a dog owner, how do you deal with it when you have children run up to you? And well, there's two situations that I can think of when you're out walking your dog or you're at a pub or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And um, children, one of two things happen. <laughs> they either come over and they're polite enough to ask you, hey, can I stroke your dog or whatever? Yes that's the better of the two scenarios and then of course the other one is where they just run over and they start stroking the dog before you've even spoken to them Mm -hmm. how do you deal with that so i always one i like to do red light green light um so if i'm walking down the street and children are running towards me i'll say red light because they usually know that game um and i might leave a treat and walk away um, you know, walk backwards so that so that I put something down on the ground and then I back up with my dog to increase the distance okay. and say... A treat for the dog, not the children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the children might be in one spot and I'm backing away with my dog saying, you can pick that up and how about, you know, we can do a hand signal for Sid. Oh, I see what you're saying. Treat. So I'm giving the space. I'll say, Stop, you know, red light. I'm putting this on the ground, and we're going to back up over here. My dog would love to show you a trick, all right? So when you go like this with your hand, he's going to sit or whatever, and then they can throw the treat. So that's something I might do um, if I'm sitting at a place and the and they want to pet. You know, I've even lied, Nick. If I, if I really have a dog and I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, my dog just – you know, he's sick or he's just not feeling up to it today. But, um, you know, but it really, it just, it shouldn't be that kids always are expected to touch the dog. So many dogs mm-hmm. are intimidated by that. And especially if they're out just relaxing, it, it really can make for an uncomfortable situation for everybody. Definitely. And sometimes I think a lot of people feel really rude if they say no. Yeah, like their little baby is not being social. There's a lot of social pressure. Um, it was interesting. I had the opposite happen where my daughter 
specifically knew not to go up to a dog, and my neighbor wanted her to inter interact with her dog. And I said, no, we're good. We're just going to look. And my neighbor almost literally tried to push her dog towards my child. And I said, mm -hmm. no, you know, we're okay. We, we're not going to touch. My daughter had no desire to touch this dog. She knew we don't go touching. You know, it wasn't even on her radar to touch my neighbor's dog. Um, you know, because we didn't go running up to dogs. We just didn't do that in our house, and we didn't do it in general. So, but, so there's a lot of pressure both ways, one for the dog owner, but also two, um, you know, for kids, <laughs> you know, that, that if you're saying something negative about someone's dog, if you don't want to touch it. So we have to think about that <laughs> yeah. too. Like, why don't you want to touch my dog? He's friendly. He yeah. loves people. <laughs> That's a great point. And, and also this strikes me as being good advice for anyone, yeah. you know, like, I get it a lot as a dog trainer where if we meet up with friends or something and they've got a dog, generally when I meet a dog, um, unless it's trying to interact with me, then I usually just leave it to do its own thing. Me too. Um, but people will kind of be looking at me strange, like, hang on, this guy's a dog trainer and he's not interacting with my dog. So funny. <laughs> so funny. I know. It's it, it, totally. Um, yes, I had a situation like that fairly recently, um, and, and I was at Friends, and I was not engaging with their dog. Their dog was clearly not so comfortable, and I was letting him have time, whereas my husband was interacting and engaging, and he was the one that um, I, you know, <laughs> was feeling overly confident with this dog, and it was funny. My friend described me, the, the dog and myself, oh, well, the dog seems to really like Joe, but not so much about Jen. And I was like, I just kind of chuckled to myself going, mm-hmm, yep, I'm giving him space. And sure enough, that dog, you know, my husband was feeling overly confident with the dog liking him. So that got a little too much. But, um, yeah, it's funny how people have expectations of what that interaction should look like, you know. And giving mm -hmm. space is actually so respectful, Right. I completely agree. <laughs> and, and, off, and, you know, I think the analogy to people is a really good one. You know, like you don't meet someone new for the first time and then start hugging them and, you know, you, you don't put your hands all over them. Well, you know, it's just kind of. Yes. And, and I will go even a step further and say, you know, especially for our expecting families, listen, I've been pregnant four times and I have had people who want to touch a pregnant belly and you want to just deck them. There's no reason <laughs> just because my belly, I mean, and your boobs, not to mention, I mean, but, but why are you going to touch my belly? Who gave you permission to come into my space and touch that? It's not an invitation for you to touch me. It is not. Uh -huh. And, and it's offensive, right? And I, I just think we have to think about it. You know, when I talk about that with our expecting families, they get it. They're like, oh, my God, yes, because a lot of people do that. They think just because you're pregnant, people want you to touch your belly. It's a strange thing. So Yeah, that is really strange. <laughs> and also it kind of ties in with, like, the cultural moves at the moment with people talking about consent between people so much more like this is really the same thing it's just it's applying to dogs 
And it needs, yes, and it should apply to all living creatures, right? And I think that's the moral of the story, is we are teaching our children that, you know, our, everybody can say no or everybody can have their own personal space, um, and, and that's okay. It doesn't mean you're good or bad. It means that that's what works for you. And, and just in general, as individuals, we need to respect that. And so whether it's a dog or a cat or a person, I think it's an important thing for people to acknowledge. And we've got to start that with our children. Yeah, I completely agree. So I want to make sure that we talk about uh, you a little bit more and family pools and dogs and storks. So maybe if you could explain uh, what that is for people that um, haven't heard you before. Sure. So Family Paws Parent Education is an international organization, and we have two programs. Dogs and Storks is for new and expecting families to help them prepare with their dog for life with baby. And Dogs and Toddlers is to help them prepare with their dog for life with toddlers, which I think is hugely important, but what most people don't think about. And... Um, we Our programs are provided only by uh, licensed educators, so people who have been approved and have gone through our uh, training course and who work directly with me. Um, and they offer, you know, group presentations, and some offer services related to uh, babies and dogs and toddlers and dogs through their own private business. So that's a little bit about what we do. Brilliant. And also, we have a lot of professionals that listen to this. So if someone wants to get involved, how can they become a Family Pools uh, representative? Sure. They can check out our website, familypaws.com, and look under programs. And there's a specific program for uh, dog professionals. And um, we have a new 13-week program. Uh, our next series begins in January. So we're always looking for people who have an interest and may have a little bit of a passion for this, um, you know, to help get the message out. Right. And, and also, this is an international thing, isn't it? It's not just an American. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we definitely um, have people all, all over the world that are offering the program, which is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense because obviously this is a problem worldwide. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And right, it's different. Children with... Yeah. It's, it, you know, the, thing, the beauty is kids and dogs, dogs and babies are dogs and babies no matter where they are in the world. So there is definitely a need for this information. Right. And, and also, do you find there are, do you, do you get a lot of, well, I assume that you do because you're known at this point as this being your specialty, but do you find that there are a lot of people that are asking for this kind of information? There are definitely a lot of people asking for this information. Um, and we get calls internationally. Um, well, we get calls to the hotline from different areas, but we also get emails on a regular basis from all over so um there's it's usually very similar questions um you know from wherever it's amazing to me that no matter where they're writing from it's almost always the same concerns same questions regardless of where what country and where they're located 
So can you explain a little bit more about the hotline as well? So what what's the hotline? Sure. We do have a hotline, dog and baby support hotline, and I set that up originally to kind of encourage rescues and uh, shelter groups that if they had someone who was calling and, and desperate and thinking that they needed to surrender their animal, that maybe um, maybe we could do a little more troubleshooting and see if that's, you know, it's so sad when I see families uh, make kind of a hasty decision just because they don't know of resources or um, they don't have the support that they might need to make it work, that there are definitely times that it, you know, is needed. But there are also times that people make a regrettable decision, and we want to help people go through all the different options. Um, but our hotline is for families who may have have something that's concerning and they need to talk to someone. Um, and usually we'll triage and talk to them, and um, either I will help them or sometimes that's enough, or sometimes we're going to need to refer them out to one of our licensed educators and they may need to do an individual consultation with that person through their business. So can, yep. can people find the hotline on the Family Paws website? Yep, it's right at the top of the page. So um, I can give you the number for that if you'd like. It's um, yep. 877-247-3407. Brilliant. And, and where can people find all of this information? Is it all on... Could, is it familypools.com? Yes. yes, it is. And, and do you have any social media accounts or anything else that <laughs> we, is worth mentioning? We do. Um, we do have an Instagram. It's Family Paws Official. And then we also have a Facebook um, Family Paws Parent Education, a business group. And and is it Family Pools where people will be able to find the directories of uh, your trainers as well? Yes. Um, if you go to the Family Paws website, there is a uh, tab that says Find an Educator. Excellent. Well, that was really brilliant. Thanks so much for coming on. This was actually one of the episodes where people were requesting it. You know, people were asking for this information. So, like you said, there's obviously a desire for it. So, it makes a lot of sense um, to get involved with it and, and learn more about these kind of interactions and children and dogs together well i appreciate you having me it's always one of my favorite subjects to talk about <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for coming on thank you what's up guys i hope you enjoyed that episode that was a lot of fun and also really good information for me as well because I certainly get a little bit nervous when I have to work with children and dogs. Like I said in the beginning of this episode, there's a lot of potential for things to go wrong. And, and knowing how to address those problems and how to properly prepare people for having a baby or um, any kind of children and dogs interaction is really a, a great thing. And I think that you know Jen showed how passionate she is about that and how her programs are helping to make a difference and how you can help people or prepare yourself with your own dogs to uh, have, have a child or, or just manage those interactions better. As always, if you haven't already joined us over on the podcast discussion group, then go over there and do that. I'm sure there's going to be some kind of conversation about children and dogs and managing that properly and some of the information that we spoke about today. The other thing is, of course, a huge thank you to Button Up Box, 
who have been great in sponsoring the podcast, our first ever sponsor. They make healthy homemade dog food that is just brilliant quality and they are one of the few dog foods that has a five-star rating on All About Dog Food. And for listeners of this podcast, they get a 75% discount on your first box. So that's a no-brainer. To get that discount, go to buttonupbox.com slash nickbenger. The other thing you can do to help me out, if you haven't already, is leave a review on this podcast. That helps us show up higher in the listings. And if you want the show notes for this episode, which is basically just where I put everything that we spoke about, all the links for Jen's stuff so that you can get to that easily, then just go to nickbenger.com slash jennifer hyphen shryock, which is spelled S-H-R-Y-O-C-K. All right, guys. See ya.